Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there. Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Teresa Goss. She is a multi-passionate entrepreneur, an author, public speaker, executive producer, national talk show host, and founder of Now. Also a computer programmer. Got to add that in there too. Teresa, thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I am so excited to jump in. How are you doing today? I am great. And thank you for having me. You know me. I would love to do anything. You call me and say, hey, let's go make a cake. I'm heading over. <laughs> I appreciate your willingness to jump on in and participate. I am so excited to have you here and so looking forward to jumping in and sharing all about the beautiful light that you put out into the world through the work you're doing and oh, share you. your story and your journey. Ooh, let's so. not share too much. We might scare the little people. We don't, you know, okay. Just kidding. All right. You know, I'm an open book. Anything you want. I uh, know. So with that being said, let's jump in and get started. Now, that is one hell of a resume and I'm exhausted just looking at it and thinking about all those titles and all those hats you wear. So I'm curious, first of all, how the hell do you find the time to do all of this and how do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization to you? Prioritization organization is humongous for us. So funny you would say that because I'm going from little scribbly notes to post-it notes to notebooks to organizers. And now we're in actual digital media management and all of that because we do have so much going on. And when my partners and my team look at me and go, huh, when did that happen? (laughs) I know that okay, we need to get it down a little bit tighter. But yeah, it's very important because it has been many a time that people have called me and said, so I'll see you tomorrow. And I'm like, "Uh, why? What? (laughs) And they were flying in and I'm like, so we had to get organized. And so with you wearing so many hats, Teresa, what does your morning routine look like? Well, the dogs wake me up somewhere between 6.30 and 7. That's the start. Let's get the dogs taken care of. And then I look at my calendar to see what's coming up for the day. And usually the night before I've prepped for that. And then we just start going. And sometimes that day is, hey, you're designing or coding or something behind computers, which is my safe haven all day long. Or it's you're on stages or you're on a plane or somebody's coming to your stage. So yeah, whatever happens that day. Just roll with it. Just roll with it. And so what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? Insanity. No, absolutely insanity. No, I'm super creative. I always have been. Many moons ago when I was a little kid, my dad would say to me, I know everybody marches to a different drummer, but what dang band plays in your head? Because I've always been doing this. I'm the kid that brought 
a kiddie pool into my bedroom with sand and popsicle sticks to figure out how the pyramids were made. That That's me. So I've always been this kid. And yeah, that's what I do. I love it. Now, you stepped into entrepreneurship at a very young age. Yeah. I believe it was the age of 10 and you yeah. were generating more annual revenue than your parents by age of 12. I'm like, yeah. what the hell? That is unbelievable and mind-boggling. So I have to ask, what the hell were you doing at age 12 that enabled you to generate more annual income than your parents? And where did that that entrepreneurial spirit or bug come from for you? Well, I'm an adopted child. I was adopted at six months old by older parents, and I could not be more grateful to them because I missed the system. I lived in seven different places by the time I was six months old. Wow. And then when they found me with a fa- one of her best friends was my foster mother, I was sick. And my mother took me from her, took me to the hospital, no paperwork, no nothing, and sat with me for two months while I was in the hospital getting me back to health. So that's how it all started started for me. And when I was about eight years old, my dad comes home on my eighth birthday and he says, kid, now see my dad, you're, hey, you kid. And if he calls you by your name, you're in trouble. Yeah. So if kid, he's in a good mood, right? Yeah. Like, kid, happy birthday. I'm like, I got a great present for you. I'm thinking, yes, a new bike. He <laughs> says, you're getting a job. <laughs> I said, wow, dad. I can't wait for nine. What do you mean I'm getting a job? And he says, because they were so afraid. They were labor workers. My dad worked at the steel mill. My mother was a seamstress worker in the sweatshop. She never made more than 280 some dollars in a week. And she worked over 60 hours to get that. But he was so afraid that they were going to pass before I got to 18, before I could take care of myself. And I ended up back in the system. So he wanted to make sure I could take care of myself. So his brilliant idea at eight was for me to get a paper route. And I'm like, I can't cross the street. (laughs) I'm only allowed to go to the two houses on either side and the three houses in front of the house. So (laughs) this is about to be the smallest paper route in history. But okay, no, his brilliant idea was we're going to do it on the weekends because he's off and he'll follow me with the car. So I make sure I'm safe. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, this isn't going to work. Well, let's do it. So we did it for about two weeks. And dad said, nah, this isn't going to work. So forget that. So we're standing in the butcher shop. Yeah, I'm almost 60. So back in the day, butcher shops are coming back now. But back in the day, you wanted meat. You went to the butcher shop, right? Mm -hmm. You're standing in the butcher shop. And he looks back and he sees the long roll of brown paper they used to wrap the meat in. He asked the young man if he could give him a piece about yay big, about two feet by a foot. The guy's like, yeah. And he takes time to fold it ever so good. And he puts it in his pocket. We're like, strange. We get home and he starts writing out all the chores that I've ever done. And he puts a dollar amount next to all the chores. And he says to me, he says, look. If you want to go to the movies, if you want to do this or that, that has nothing to do with school or all your after school activities, these are the chores you got to do. So if you need 10 bucks on a weekend, make sure you do this. And every Friday, I'd have to get one of the parents to sign off on it. On Monday, dad would pay me. So I'm like, ooh, more chores, more money. This works. Yeah. I get to 10 and I'm like, well, dad will pay me. Maybe other people will pay me because the lady across the street is screaming at her son for leaving, for not raking the lawn. So I go over and say, I'll rake the lawn. Pay yeah. me to rake the lawn. Yeah. Well, if she'll pay me. Maybe we can get other people to pay us, right? Yeah. So then I started talking to my friends. I'm like, if I get jobs, I still do this, by the way. If I get jobs, you're going to help me fill them? Yeah, that'll be great. Still today, you don't have to have the skills or whatever. You tell me you want to learn how to do it, boom. 
my business partner and producer was an engineer for 27 years and an architect. You want to learn? Let's go. So I start hiring people in the neighborhood. They start going out and doing the chores. We go knock on doors. You got any odd jobs, blah, blah, blah. Well, we do that from the age of 10 until I joined the Navy at the age of 17. Actually, it went on past that another year and a half past me leaving Chicago. But that's how we started. That's how we started. So at 12, I'm sitting on the front step. And, you know, nowadays ice cream trucks aren't the the biggest thing in the world. But back in the day, we were like Pavlov's dog. Bell starts ringing. We all start running. Money or not, didn't matter. We're running after this truck. So I'm sitting on my front step and I'm watching all these kids beg for a bite. Come on, man. Give me a bite. Just give me one lick. I let you give a bite last week. Give me a bite. Right? So I'm sitting there. I'm going, hmm. So I go in the house. I get this little silver box and a little notebook. And I come on and go, yo, you want ice cream? Yeah. When do you get your allowance? Friday. Okay. Well, this is how this goes. I'll loan you the money for ice cream now. On Friday, you get to pay me back plus interest. <laughs> Loan sharking. <laughs> And if you don't pay me by the time the lights come on, because back in the day, you had to be in the house when the lights came on, yeah. Big Mike's going to come and visit you. See? <laughs> <laughs> so Big Mike, his parents worked at the post office. So mm-hmm. they worked nights. He was the only one that was allowed to be outside at night. Okay? He was the original Fat Albert. He carried hot dogs <laughs> in his pockets. Kid you not. Okay? So he would go out, and I have a deal with him, kind of the original affiliate program. Dude, whatever you collect, you get 30, 40% of. Deal. Deal. <laughs> Grassroots affiliate. <laughs> Grassroots affiliate. So the lights come on. He's like, okay, knock, knock. Give me the money. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so this is how I end up making more money than my parents. Now, mind you, my parents were labor workers. My dad was yeah. a steel mill worker. Worked in cranes. Burned his arms up back in the day because they used to make them bang the steel out by right. hand. Okay, so it wasn't like they were making millions. So it wasn't that hard to pass their income. But what was funny was my father passed hating computers because I would go. Yeah. Back in the day, you didn't have computers to pay all your bills. You had to go to the counter. You mailed it in. So I would go to the counter and pay his car note. I go to the counter and pay the mortgage. And then he get paid and go try to pay it. And they tell him that with nothing. Well, the computer says there's nothing due, sir. Yeah. He's like, oh, they're going to come and get me later. Oh, these fake computers are going <laughs> to get me later. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how it goes. That is incredible. The fact that your father started you on that journey and instilling those values in you at such a young age, how incredible is that? We need more of that nowadays yeah. to get maybe not eight years old, but I think we need to start instilling those values into our what, children. What are you kidding so me? My they... grandson just turned four. He's getting a okay. job. Beautiful. I love it. Do the laundry, do the chores around the house. Yeah. I have the privilege to call Greg Reed a friend and a mentor. And one thing that Greg Reed talks about, he has a young son and he talks about that somebody that's his mentor told him, you're teaching your son to do things he hates to make money because do your chores. You hate your chores. You're making money. So he changed that. And yeah, he still does his chores, but that's his way to support the house and participate, but he pays them for the things that he loves to do. So he loves to create graphics or he loves to be on stage or he loves to do comedy jokes or whatever. And he gets paid for that. 
So that's yeah. what we're doing with our grandsons. We have three, 17, mm-hmm. nine, and now four going on 40. And we're <laughs> going to, yeah, he's, his first thing, he looks at you, you like, you want to, no, talk to the head. But we're teaching him to get paid for the things you love. You still got to go to school. You still got to do your chores. That gives you the privileges to go spend the money you made. But yeah. you get paid for the things you love. And they are coming up with the coolest things. It is absolutely is neat. Awesome. Yeah, it is absolutely neat. Our middle grandson, I think, is going to end up being a commentator or something because he just loves <laughs> sitting next to me, calling yeah. the play-by-plays of football. And I'll pay him five bucks when he's right. I'm like, oh, my God, here you go. Yeah, that was awesome. Love you it. <laughs> Love it. It's great. You're instilling these values that you learned growing up and passing that down. So for future generations, I think that's amazing. Brilliant. Having started your entrepreneurial journey at such a young age, did you just continue to stay on that track into your adult years or end up having to get a real job? And if so, what was your career before fully stepping into the entrepreneurship as an adult? Well, I've been an entrepreneur continuously since I got laid off in January of 20, of 2000. Okay. And on that day, my boss, when she had to lay me off because they were doing cutbacks, she's crying, got the Kleenex box. I'm so sorry. And I was sitting in the chair going, yes, somebody here. You know? Oh my God, thank God. She's like, what? Excuse me? Are you kidding me? But you spend that time going, do I take the risk and go out there fully? Or do I hold on to this security blanket with a 401k that has $12 in it? And you know, when they push you and they put you out there, then you have two choices. You go find another place to work for, or you just go all the way out. So since 2000, I've been pretty much on my own. So coming up with 24 years. But before that, Yeah, I joined the Navy at 17. So I'm a quote unquote disabled vet. I joined the Navy at 17. I got out of the Navy four years, three months, 26 days, and four and a half hours later. Who's counting? But they definitely (laughs) changed my life. And I I credit them for saving my life because I grew up on the south side of Chicago and I was starting to get into some things I shouldn't have been into. So I credit them for that. And a lot of people that I've been blessed to have around me that kind of steered me the way and shine the light a little bit further down the road and said, go this way. And I'm Incredible. like, okay. So then when I got out of the Navy, I was a computer programmer. I was radioman then. Now it's communications. And I was a computer programmer since high school. So I wanted to be a programmer and no civilian job would hire me because I needed the proper credentials. So I took a two-year program and I finished it in just a little over nine months. I pretty much lived it. So I have this little certificate and then I started. And I worked for somebody else for a little bit. They ended up getting arrested. Whole nother story. Called all of their clients and said, hey, they got arrested. Would you like us to take over your mailings? Because we were doing mass mail production. And me and my buddy, who was co-managers of the shop, she took half the Rolodex. I took the other half. Mm-hmm. We both started our mailing businesses. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> the rest is history, pretty much. <laughs> I've had other jobs and all of that, but for the most part, since 19, when did that happen? 1990, mm-hmm. 91, pretty much been doing this entrepreneur thing three quarters of my time, if not full time. It's just part of who, I mean, starting at the age of eight, it's just become part of who you are. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I know your journey and story has a lot of twists and turns and they have obviously helped shape the woman you are today and helped you get to where you are today. You are an incredible inspiration, Teresa. Can you share a little bit with us about your own personal struggles and journey? 
I mean, I've been through a little bit of everything. I've been homeless four times. I've lived all over the country and all over the world. The only state that I have not been to is Maine. There's a whole story behind it. We'll get into that later. <laughs> but I do love their lobster. I'm just saying. And just it's there. just putting it out there. I'm dyslexic, but a different kind of dyslexia. I don't see letters backwards, words backwards. What I do see is when I'm tired, all the letters go together like one long word. So I don't see spaces. That computers help save that because I can turn the brightness up and it pushes the light through the spaces and I can keep doing what I do. But give me a book to read. Three, four months later, I'll probably be on chapter five. Yeah. <laughs> For me, we had a party the first time I finished my first book. I'm not kidding you. It was in 1991. I had read the whole thing and it was I, Tina, the Tina Turner story. Right. And we did an Ike and Tina party. Everybody <laughs> came dressed as I could. It, I kid you not. But there's been so many different things. I've been a short order cook. I've slept in my car. But at the same time, I've eaten with royalty and lived in some of the most amazing places on the planet. So it's just a matter of just believing that tomorrow, yeah, is another day. I've been so low that I was ready to take my own life a few times. And that's why I say Zig Ziglar and Les Brown and Rita Davenport saved my life. There's just so much, but you just got to keep going. You do. Absolutely. And so how have these experiences then helped shape the Teresa you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? Well, they call me turtle at the boxing gym because I'm a boxer. And well, my captain calls me snapping turtle, but the, <laughs> it fits there because I am a very good shot. But it also fits with my life. I have a really hard shell from all the experiences that I've been through that now when things happen, I don't go anymore. Yeah. I just kind of go, okay, how do we fix it? What do we do next? I have no problem with apologizing to someone, taking the load. It's like, this is my team, my family. You're not yeah. going to yell at my producer or my engineer or whoever, but you're going to talk to me. If there's a problem, it's me. And I don't run in a corner and go, oh my God, they don't like me. Like I used to when I was 20 something. It helps you. You got to, yeah, resilience. You can't walk around like you're wrapped in saran wrap. That's what gets me about padding our children. My grandson goes to ride his bike. He yeah. looks like he's going to outer space with all this padding. And I get it. I get it. But now he doesn't know how to fall down. That's right. He doesn't know how to get over it and recover. And he just turned four. We just did the party. And he's at that big giant jumper thing that looks like a football field of, of jumping. The jumpy and, castle, yep. Yeah. The, no, not the castle. The trampoline arena where there's okay. like yep. a thousand trampolines. And he slips and he hits his chin on the padded edge. <laughs> and his mother's like, my youngest daughter, oh my God, he needs to. Sit. I said, if you don't let that boy be a boy. She's like, but he has a bruise. I'm like, hey, I'm going to bruise you. If you don't let that boy be a boy. Every time he falls down, you cannot run and wrap him in saran wrap and tell him the world's all safety safe. It's not. Because when he gets out there on his own, the minute a car cuts him off, he's going to pull to the side of the road and think his life is over. Yep. Let him be a boy. It, oh, yeah. You know, it's such a huge problem today, I think, with parents overprotect these helicopter parents and they don't want to let their kids fail. They don't want to let their kids fall. And the school system, it's all fucked up. And yeah. 
they are only creating problems for these kids. You're setting these kids up for failure, essentially, is what you're really doing. Because if they don't learn to fail, what do you think is going to happen when they get out into the real world and they actually do fail at something? They're fucked. Yeah, right. exactly. Yep, foobard. Yeah, they won't know yeah. what the hell to do. They won't, they'll have a meltdown. Exactly. And I have to admit, I have to, this will be the first time I've ever said this on the air, but part of that is my fault. See, I used to be administrative director for the Chicago Area Runners Association. Okay. We do the Chicago Marathon. Mm-hmm. And they were doing a kid's race. And one of the kids didn't want to be number three when his brother was number two. So okay. they were losing their minds. So I thought, well, why not just order all ones and nobody will have an argument? So we ordered all ones. And now every race has all ones and nobody loses. And it started just because I had a headache that day and I was tired of this kid screaming, I don't want to be numbered. I apologize for all the ones (laughs) running around. It's been about 30 years of runs now. It's my fault. Okay. (sighs) Well, I don't think we can hang that all on you, Teresa. But this problem of these kids not losing or every kid getting a trophy for participation, come on, there has to be a lose. You can't win. You have to learn that losing is okay, that failure is okay. It's part of the journey. That's how you're going to learn. Yeah, that's how you're going to learn. True. And so what would you say has been your biggest or most valuable lesson or takeaway from your experiences? Where you start is and where you finish. And what your history is doesn't state where you're going to go. Not all Kennedys are Kennedys. And just because you weren't born in that family doesn't mean you couldn't have massive success. When you look at Forbes and you look at the list of people, I mean, look at Oprah and how far she's come. If we all just kind of said, well, my parents didn't do this. And I say that because I hear it a lot. My family never did that. What does that have to do with what you're doing now? My aunt taught me this. There's no lid over you. She used to tell me that when I was a little kid. I would go outside and catch grasshoppers. You put grass at the bottom, you use one of her good canning jars, you poke (laughs) holes in it, gets her kind of upset. Then you put the grasshoppers in there and they're bouncing around and bouncing around. And then when the sunlight comes on, you got to go in. So you leave them on your step. And when you come outside the next morning, they're still alive, but they're not hopping anymore. And the reason they're not hopping, they got sick of hitting their head on that ceiling, on that (laughs) lid, right? So when you take it off, you pour them out, they go bump and they go away. And she said to me, she said, that's life. People believe if they keep hitting their head on the lid, then there's no reason to bounce anymore. So they just get comfortable in their comfort zone and they never grow. She's like, don't you ever forget, there's no lid over you. So the minute they tell you no, you figure out why. That's a no from them, not a no to you. And that's what I do. There's no lid over me. That is brilliant. I love that. That is incredible. Thank you. You're on. I know she's somewhere watching right now. She was. She was a very wise woman. (laughs) She didn't take no mess either, but she was a very wise woman. None of my family did. (laughs) And so you are a media mogul, we might as well say, Teresa. I think that is a very good descriptive for you and all the work you do and all the things you have your hands in. You started out publishing a magazine that was the world's first all-digital interactive magazine for African-Americans. I did. Can you talk a little bit about that magazine and the inspiration behind creating it? And is it still in existence? It is not still in existence, but if you search for it on Google, you'll find people still talking about it. It was Black Insight Magazine. We called it BEM for short. Mm -hmm. 
And we started it because I'm a computer programmer and I had this really cool creative kid that was living with us and he loved design and graphics and all that. And we said, hey, let's create, let's take Adobe and create a cool magazine that we don't have to print. And that was 2004. So it's been 19 years. And the reason we started it with African-Americans isn't because I am African-American. It was because the African-American group was the slowest group getting on the internet at that time. And we figured if we messed it up, nobody would see it. (laughs) We we were like, oh, nobody will see it. It'll be fine. So we put it together and I talked places like, I'm in Las Vegas, so New York Casino and Hotel in the comping rooms and giving us places to shoot. And they used to have these long taxi limos and pick up people from the airport. It was amazing. And I hired my production crew from the phone book. Yeah, all you can really find is wedding photographers and people that do videography. The guy I ended up hiring was an undercover fraud detective during the day. Wow. It was interesting. And then we put it out there. We wanted to have a talk show in it. We did that. We wanted to have a fashion show. We had a soap opera out of Washington, D.C. The guy literally ran out of money on a cliffhanger. And I kid you not, Cliff, the guy fell off the cliff in season two, the end of season two. He had no more money. So for years, people called me and said, what did he live or die? And I'm like, I don't know. He had no more money. So just (laughs) let your mind finish it out. We have no idea. And people started telling people. When I was a kid back in the day, if black people were on TV, my mother called everybody. Even with a rotary (laughs) phone, it was speed dialing. Girl, turn on channel two, black people on TV. And then they call everybody. And that's what ended up happening with the magazine. People started telling people. The Whispers are here. Smokey Robinson is here. Blah, 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 blah. And we covered Tyler Perry's first big movie launch. And it was like, oh, my God. So we got to 1.8 million subscribers in less than two years. In less than two years? In less than two years. And we had people calling us because this was before YouTube and before Google and before all the stuff people are doing right now, even this. And they would call us and say, so, girl, look. I want to see this whisper interview that you put in here because I love me some whispers, but I've never watched the video on my computer. Is it going to blow up my computer? Because I need it for work. (laughs) No, it's not going to blow up your, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) And we created technology that would, because back then you put a form out, they would tell you everything. Ages of children, where they located, da, 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 da. Nobody yeah. knew the stuff you could do with it. So we would set it up so that when they opened up the magazine, it was a PDF, basically. And yeah. you open it up, it knew, the technology we had behind it knew where they were in the world, and it knew what their age group was. So we had a car sponsor, and it's like if you were a family, you got a sedan or a minivan for your ad. If you're a young 20-something guy, you got a convertible. And they started calling each other about that. Girl, what ad is on page 26? Mm, I don't have that. What do you have that? You know? <laughs> it, it was amazing. So we went on for almost two years. And then somebody literally came knocking at my door. It was a very well-known magazine. And they said, uh, you're way ahead of us. We're going to write you a check and you're going to start making that. And I said, no, I'm not. And then they wrote the check. And I went, ooh. Yes, I am. <laughs> do you want tea or coffee before you leave? Thank you. They didn't wow. ask us not to use the technology again. They didn't ask us for our list. They didn't ask us for anything. Just cease and desist. Wow. So we did. And we've made, I don't know, 10 or 11 magazines since then, probably 12. 
and we're always doing new ones. And now we're using augmented reality in our magazine. So it's fun. Incredible. (laughs) So how did your journey begin then into the world of television, executive producing, radio, talk shows, all of the things, media? And what was the inspiration behind wanting to step into that world? The magazine that we just talked about, Ben, Mm. was a major reason why. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to be somewhere in entertainment. I wanted to be a comic. And my dad told me, I said, Dad, I want to be a stand-up comic when I grow up. He said, if you don't stand your ass up and get a job, you ain't doing that. (laughs) And I said, okay, never mind. And then we used to come to Vegas. I mean, since 1971, we came to Vegas every summer until they moved here in 87. And Red Fox, Fred Sanford, for people that don't remember who Red Fox is. Sanford and Son. Sanford and Son. He used to play at what is Bally's now, back then was MGM. And the the high ticket tables, the high roller tables was right inside the door with a red rope around it. Nothing like what Vegas is now. And I got, I was like, it's Fred Sanford. And I was a little kid then. And back in the day, people don't know in Vegas, the carpets are two different colors for a reason other than they're completely ugly. But the reason why they're two different colors is back in the day, the runner carpet is where people under 21 could be. You weren't allowed to step off that carpet. Those days are gone. Well, I stood behind him and the security came and said, you can't be here. And I was on the runner. And I'm like, but I'm on the runner. And he looked and he said, what do you know about poker kid i'm like nothing sir and he's like let her stay well every summer until i was 15 i saw this man and he would there's my lucky charm but he would ask my dad when we were coming next year and he would be there sandman yeah. brothers and blah, blah blah there's my lucky charm and he would sit there how was school what are you doing well one day i told him i said i want to be you when i grow up hmm. and he got up out of the table he threw his cards in he got up out of the table and he came over to me at the rope and he said no We're not doing all this so that you can just follow and do what we're doing. He's like, the power's behind the camera. The power's behind the curtain. That's Mm -hmm. where the power is. That's where the money is. He was like, so do that. And I'm going, I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm from Chicago. That's not going to (laughs) happen. And then looking at what we're doing. We're doing feature films. We're doing all this stuff. But that's where it came from. And to answer your question really quickly on why we started doing this, I met this woman, Anna Maria Davis. She did Fool's Rush In with Matthew Perry and Selma Hayek, the only movie production to shut down Hoover Dam for an actual production and not use the little, we have a little mini Hoover Dam that you use for production here. She did the real one. Okay. Wow. And I met her at a Christmas mixer and this lady asked me, what do you do? And I told her, and she wouldn't grabbed her. And Anna was eating a piece of chicken. The lady grabbed her by the arm and she's like, try to get her chicken <laughs> and drug her over and said, tell her what you do. And I told her, and she said, oh, honey, you're a producer. And I said, no, I'm a tech geek who has a magazine. She says, mm-hmm. no, you're a producer. She said, I'm going to prove it to you. Long story short, she took me back and forth to Hollywood for almost a year. And put me on some of the biggest sets in the world. I saw some amazing productions. And I was like Pavlov's dog. She would tell me, sit, stay. And she'd sit me next to a sound engineer. She'd sit me next to camera one or the director. And that's how I started cutting my teeth. That's incredible. (laughs) There's no better school than that. There's no better school. And then I see Tyler Perry in an interview one day. Or yeah, it was, I saw him in an interview one day and they asked him, you didn't go to film school. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. You were a homeless man. How do you have the, basically the nerve and the gall to do something like this? Yeah. And he said, funny what happens when the check clears. And I was like, wait a minute, what? And so I sit down and I listen I'm like, heck I could do that. So I started hiring production crews and instead mm-hmm. of just sitting in the back 
and watching it, I started sitting next to him like I to talk me. And I said, well, why did you do that? Well, well, what's this for? Well, what's framing? Well, how did you do this? And they go, are we teaching you to be our competition? Yeah. And if you don't like it, don't cash my check. (laughs) And one of those production companies, we still do productions together to this day. He is one of my mentors and Mark Freed, and he taught me so much. That's how I learned. You can't on the job training. That's how I learned. That is phenomenal. And so let's speak a little bit about now. What made you want to go out on your own and start your own network? How did that all come to be? And was it, I guess it was it more just like a natural progression for you? This is just there's I have to go this way. There's no other choice. Well, it, I don't, you're talking about Network of Outstanding Women, yeah. and that's our event and our organization. Right. And okay. then we have our television network, which is Tigo TV. But we Let's started now. Both. Yeah, we started now because my mom back in the day, I'm a computer programmer. My mom says, you got to do something for women because all the things that I was doing was around men, yeah. computers, tech. It's going to be men back then. And yeah. I'm like, what? She's like, figure it out. Don't say what to me. Oh, oh yes, ma'am. Okay. So my mom passed away in 07 and it never left me. I got to do something. I got to do something. So in 20, we decided, you know what? I had gone to an event, an honors event. It was basically at a holiday in the back with stale coffee and day old donuts. And you call it an honor. And I'm like, what? But then you go to a men's event and it's at the Taj Mahal or whatever. Hold up. So we said, okay, we're going to start honoring women. We're going to create a network of outstanding women. And every year we're going to honor women for what they've done in their lives or whatever. So 2020 was supposed to be the first. A little thing like COVID came along. So we didn't. 2021, we moved it. Another little thing like COVID was still hanging around like a bad date, just wouldn't go home. Yeah. So we decided to do it virtually and we honored six women. And it was awesome. Then 2022, we did it for the first time live and we had everybody come in and we honored 15 women. Now we're about to do it again this coming October. And it's going to be 23 women that we're honoring. And they're from all over the world. We're honoring one of the actors as our visionary leader of the year. She was in Black Panther. I mean, we've got an amazing R&B legend. I can't tell you who it is yet because she hasn't signed yet, but (laughs) she's coming in. We had Sharon Lecter as our Woman of the Year last year. My shero, Rita Davenport, is our Woman of the Year this year. She seriously saved my life, and I didn't even know her. And it's just amazing. So we wrapped a three-day summit around it called The Power of Pink. Part of that is because we lost my best friend and business partner to breast cancer, so we do everything we can to fight breast cancer and all cancers. But more of that power is just being a powerful woman. Men are welcome. You can bring your young kids as long as they're not going to be screaming, mommy, I want to go to lunch (laughs) in the audience. But the women on the stages, it's three days of the most powerful women on the planet standing on the stage, just sharing. They're not selling. That's one thing they're not allowed to do. It's not a selling event. We could sell all the rest of the year. This is about sharing and giving that light. So we did it two days last year. We're doing it three days this year. The third day is a roundtable discussion. We're putting fishbowls up and people can put their questions in for two straight days. And then we're going to put some of the most powerful women on the planet in a circle. And they're just going to grab a question out of the fishbowl and answer it. Want to know how to make a million dollars in 10 minutes? There's going to be a woman in the room that can answer that. Want to know how to go from zero to half a billion in five years? Oh, she'll be there. (laughs) And she'll answer that. That's the network of outstanding women and the power of pink. 
I love it. The, the fact that they're not allowed to sell, it's all about sharing, giving back the wisdom, the knowledge, and celebrating women. How exactly. We don't even give out name tags. No name Amazing. tags, no VIP seating. There'll be no red rope. If you want the good seat, get here early. I don't <laughs> care what's in your bank account. Seat. Get here early. So we yeah. had a billionaire at the top behind the spotlight yeah. at the last award. Because <laughs> she was late. late. You were late. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then the award is a foot high, eight and yeah. a half pounds, crystal. We're calling it the eternal flame. It's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. And these ladies are sharing it. I got my now honor. I got my now. It's We got people waiting in line already. We already have people scheduled for 2026. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. That is nuts. Can you <laughs> talk a little bit about the television network and the reason or the inspiration behind starting that? That's a huge undertaking. Starting your it own is a huge network. undertaking. We did it. It's, it's called Tigo TV. We did it. It's called OTT. And for those who don't know what OTT is, back in the day, before you could just do it with your app and sling it over to your TV, you had a little box you had to put on top of your television, on yeah. top television ott yep. and that's where roku and all that came into and years ago in 2016 i was like I, i'm tired of trying to figure out how to get my content on other people's platforms let's build our own so we hired a team and we did we built our own and it cost us well into the seven figures to do it back then but we're coders i'm a coder by trade so I wanted to learn how to build them. So I've built networks for others since then because yeah. y'all were dumb enough to just let me sit there and look <laughs> over your shoulder and now I know how to do it. And no, I'm not hiring you again. I can do it myself. <laughs> so we built it. But back in 2016, hosting was like 30, 40, 50 grand a month. And I'm like, oh God, we can't do this. So we stopped putting content in. We never took the network down. And it's been up ever since. So we still have people floating through it. 10, 15,000 people float through it every month. Yeah. Why? There's nothing really there. Content from seven, eight years ago. And somebody came to us and said, hey, bring Tico TV back. We have platforms that you can put it on where you can reach a half a billion people. And I was like, really? They were like, well, one, you could be embedded in 450 million smart televisions worldwide. And I was like, oh, well, that could be fun. Well, let's try yeah. that. <laughs> so we reformatted it and yeah. it's Tigo TV Broadcast Network. And our main focus is legends, legendary okay. sports, legendary entertainment. We're also doing independent film and all of that, but we can't compete with Netflix. Y'all are not coming to us to watch the latest movie. Right. And of course, inspiration, thought leader, inspiration, motivation, thought leader, because that's the environment I'm in every day. And I want to be able to showcase those people and let them reach it in a whole nother world. Because you know how this is. We all swim yep. in the same pond. We just visit different lily pads from time yep. to time. And it becomes like family reunion. There's a whole world out there. Only 10% of Americans even know what a thought leader is. There's a whole world out there that doesn't know who we are. So let's go tell them. Yeah, let's spread the word. And there it is. Educate and elevate. That's what we're here to do. I love it. Now, you've been recognized, of course, for the work you do by your peers in the industry with awards, acknowledgements, accolades. Can you talk a little bit more in detail about the awards and what those accolades mean to you? Like, do they carry a lot of weight with you or is it more of just like a nice to have looks good on a resume feather in the cap type of thing? Like, does it carry a lot of weight with you? 
it doesn't carry a lot of weight in the sense of it's, it defines my life, you know, that mm -hmm. I'm going to walk around for the rest of my life and go, yes, that's right. I won an Athena. That's, <laughs> that's not it. I'm actually getting my star here in Las Vegas pretty soon on the, on the Las Vegas walk of fame down on the strip. Thank you. And again, other than me being silly and taking a bucket <laughs> and a toothbrush and y'all walk over there. <laughs> With little baby cones around it. I'm, I, yeah, no. But it means a lot to others. When right. they want to hire me to come in or invite me to come in and MC, or they want me to speak, or they even want to be a guest on my show. When they go look at my resume, they go, oh, she got an Athena. Oh, she's in the Nevada Hall of Fame. Oh, she's going to be in the Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Oh, she's got yeah. a star. That makes something to them. But for me, eh, eh. <laughs> It's so nice to have. It's, it's just, a nice it's, to have. It's, it's on your it's resume. Fun. If my mother was still alive, she would probably put them on her dashboard and drive all over town. That's my baby. <laughs> but for me, uh, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> what is one of your accomplishments that you are most proud of in your professional career? In my professional career, probably getting past the fear of going on camera. I was terrified. I could teach everybody how to do this, but I loved having my baseball cap on backwards, my black t-shirts, my holy jeans and standing behind the camera. I mean, I'm a computer geek. This is what I do. And then don't go back and look. I mean, we were one of 35 shows to ever, uh, talk shows to ever be on Amazon Prime. And first two seasons throughout years, 2 million people watched it every week. And it was just terrible. <laughs> I, I look at the episode, I'm going, what are you saying? Did you? What? The camera's to the left. Are you? Oh, <laughs> it was just terrible. But I got past that fear. And you can look at me. It's kind of like uh, Will Smith in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. First three episodes, you want to laugh. Go look at the first three episodes of that, of that show. He's yeah. literally lip singing the words of every other cast member <laughs> on really? camera. He's sitting there going <laughs> on I, camera. Wow. Okay. And if you go back and look at my first few, I'm literally shaking yeah. to get through it. So to get past that, I'm ready to go. Let's go. How did you get over that? How did you overcome that fear and step into that, step into your authenticity, your power? Pretty much how I, I learned how to swim. I, I was a manager of my high school swim team. Mm -hmm. They got tired of me being dry one day and threw my butt in the deep end, fully dressed. <laughs> And it was like, they were going to let me drown. They say, well, we weren't going to let you drown. I don't know, but I figured out how to get out. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. You're going to have to throw yourself in. There is no, you can stick your toe in the water for your whole life and never take the dive. You're going to have to jump in. Yeah, the water's cold. Or maybe in Vegas, it's boiling hot. But you got to jump in. Or you're never going to get out of your own way. Forget what everybody else is saying about you. The doors that you can't get through are the doors you locked from the inside. Think about that one. Ooh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's, think that's about a that one. Moment right, right there. <laughs> Forget that one. You can get a locksmith to open their doors, but you locked it from the inside in your own house or your own car. That's what I used to teach when I was a sales manager. I still hold records for selling electrolux vacuums <laughs> back in the day. And I did. I haven't sold a, a vacuum since 1997, I think. <laughs> and I still hold records. But when I had my sales team, I would tell them, it's not the client's door that you're worried about. It's your car door. Because you sit outside that person's house, you look at their yard, they look at their car, you look at everything, you go, oh, they can't afford it. Or their house is so clean, they're never going to buy it. You never knocked on the door. 
And that's what happens to a lot of us. We never even knock. We just say, oh, I could never do it. And we don't. Get out there. I love it. Let's go. Damn, I love that. (laughs) What has been one of your favorite projects to work on up to this point in your career, both? As a producer. Well, the now, for sure. Now is just, that's my baby. And we're turning that into a documentary. Our book cover just premiered on Times Square. It's just, to watch what it's doing, it's like watching a child grow. And people are already reserving for next year. You know? So they're reserving their rooms for next year because we're moving it out of October and into May because the room rates and everything are crazy here in October because of Formula One being in November and all the pre-events. So I don't want people to have to spend crazy money to come to Vegas. We're moving it to May. Next year, and people are already reserving. So that is cool. When somebody, yeah, when the first influencer got interviewed by the LA Times and she saw the photos that they took and made them come back and retake the photos because they didn't get her now award behind her. (laughs) For the LA Times, she sends me the newspaper. I'm like, is that the now? She said, absolutely. I made them come back out here and take that picture again. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That. That speaks volumes. Yeah. I've gotten an honoree that's got an Emmy. But when you see her photos, you see the now and then the Emmy sitting over to the side in the shadow. (laughs) Now is over here, right front (laughs) and center. I love it. (laughs) Teresa, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? In production? Yeah. Get your phones out of your pockets. You have a production company in your pocket. I teach everybody that. Now with these new phones, some of these phones are 6K and 8K, but it's great that they're 4K. They do the face softening and they try to light better and all that. So you don't have to learn all that initially. You just got to learn how to get on camera and you got to learn how to frame a shot. Now you can go and do YouTube or go to film school for five years or do whatever to learn how to frame a shot. But I'm going to tell you this right now. You want your subject to be not in the center like I am now because this is for green screen, right? Mm -hmm. You want your subject to be a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right because it makes it look like a more dramatic, fun scene. And if the person looks off or crooked or whatever, go shoot it again. But that's how you get started. Turn your phone into a production studio and start putting out videos all the time, whether you want to be a host or you want to be a producer because they're not going to hire you to be their producer if you've never produced anything. And you're not going to stand on anybody's stages if you've never spoken. So guess what? Time for your camera, lights, cameras, take action. Get Mm -hmm. your phone out your pocket. I love it. What lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do? I love it when, especially like I do an interview because I have expert talk with Tigo, right? Mm -hmm. And somebody will take that clip or that interview, and they put it everywhere. We're like, do whatever you want with it. It's fine. Go ahead, girl. Have Enjoy. <laughs> and then you see them, like this one interview I just did, she took a screenshot of us, and she put it out. She was like, I'm hanging out with Tigo, you know? <laughs> and she was like, listen to my interview. Watch my interview. Oh, my God, I'm hanging out. That just tickles me, because I'm a kid from the south side of Chicago. My parents were labor workers. I was in the Navy. I'm a disabled vet. I'm not Oprah. But they have a blast, an absolute blast. And we went to multi-day productions for my show because in December of 21, we had people booked through April. They just they just Facebooked me. I, I had somebody come up to me at, at a grocery store and say, I own a business. Could I be on your show? Absolutely. 
Now, can I get this ground turkey? Because I'm hungry. We're going to make tacos today. But <laughs> go ahead, call me. You know? <laughs> it's amazing to me. I just got invited to a diplomatic tea. I mean, I, and the first thing, you know me, I'm so real. First thing I said when I got invited, I don't have to actually drink tea because I'm not a tea drinker. You might want to find somebody. They said, oh, we'll put Gatorade or water or something in your cup. I said, okay, I can fake a good cup of water. <laughs> Fabulous. And they just cracked up laughing at me. But South Side of Chicago, I'm going to keep it real. I love that. And that's, you know what? I think that's the way to be. I think that's the way everyone should be. It lets people know where they stand. And if you are your genuine self, that's it. What you see is what you get. Exactly. And you can sleep at night because you don't have to remember the lie you told yesterday. There you go. And that's you don't have to worry about somebody catching you in jeans and a t-shirt when you're always a jeans t-shirt. Jeans and a t-shirt. So what? If they don't love you who you are, then why are you working so hard? They're not even yep. going to remember you after they see you. Exactly. Now, on the other side of that coin, Teresa, what is one of the most challenging parts of the work that you do? For me, staying focused. I have a, like my dad said, I have a band playing in my head. Now it's pretty much a 30-piece orchestra. So for me, it's graduated from band to orchestra, at least. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And the conductor's this cute little guy looks a lot like you, and he's just like... And the minute I stand up and start walking off the set, he's like, where the heck is she going? Okay. But that's my biggest issue because I'm always seeing holes that I can fill, problems that I can solve. And because of that, I have all these open things going on. And I trust my partners, especially my brother, Alan. And when he says, "Uh uh-uh, we're finishing this first. I'm like a little kid. I just got grabbed. Really? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Kick He's like, over. write it down. We'll deal with it later. <laughs> okay. So for me, yeah, stay with this orchestra playing in my head, staying focused is my biggest challenge. <laughs> what is one thing that you know now that you wish you knew when you began in this world, in the more serious end of your entrepreneurial journey? It's okay to be me. It's okay. I wish that I could tell my 20-year-old self, my teen self, my 30-year-old self, it's okay. Because, see, I don't fit in those round holes. That's not me. I'm a square peg all the way, and I love my sharp edges. I really do. And I get really upset when people try to shave them down. No, honey, leave them alone. They are fine. But I try so hard to to cover them up and be a round peg. I'm not. You're never going to see me in stilettos. I'm never going to be that person that goes and has the nails done and all of that. And I'm worried about designer this and designer. That's not me. I'm going into this diplomatic. I hope they're ready because I'm about to be honey all over the place. Honey, what's happening? What's going on with you? Honey, so you from Kenya. So what, what? what's the weather like a kid? Girl, let's talk. That's <laughs> I hope they're ready. And they expect me to come in there and go, oh, I'm I'm Teresa Goss. And this is what I, heck no. You invited Tigo, Tigo coming. That's who you're going to get. That's who you get. You might get a fin to in there a couple of times. Well, we finna do this and we finna do that. You never know. And it's okay. And if you don't like it, don't invite me. I've learned to have parties all by myself. See, I can jam right here. I love it. That is phenomenal. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful, Teresa? Just powering past the fear. I'm not going to say I'm not afraid, but I am. But you got to power past it. Powering past the fear and not being afraid of my creativity. One of my cousins is friends with Michael Jordan. And he told me that Michael, back in his heyday, what you saw on the court 
was nothing compared to what you saw in practice. The league literally made him not do things. And that's what you got to do. You got to just keep going. And for me, yeah, powering past the fear and being okay with who I am. That's the rub, as my mother used. Girl, that's the rub. That's the rub for me. That's a big problem for people, that four-letter word of fear. It's a huge word. And you said it earlier, we get in our own way all the time. All the so time. So what is one tip that you could give to the listeners to push past that fear, to enable them to be able to do that, to get out of their own way? If you go to Costco or Sam's Club, we're going to drop a couple of labels right now. If you go to Costco or Sam's Club on a weekend, even after COVID, there's all these sample trays everywhere. You think they're feeding you because they don't want you to starve while you're in the store? No, they want you to buy that brand. That's what it's all about. And that's what you have to do. You know, we're not telling you to quit your job or go walk through Hollywood and be the next star or whatever, but you have to do the sample because it tells yourself that you did it. So even if you go on Facebook and do a live for two minutes, because the first Facebook I did was less than two minutes and somebody made me do it. And that's what I talked about when I was on for two minutes. I don't want to do this. This ain't what it's about, but they made me do it. And I don't like it. And this is what I did for two minutes. And then I went back and went, oh, but I was on camera. So you don't have to buy the whole cake or invest your whole life or refinance your house to do your dreams. You just got to get started and take a sample. You don't like it? Don't buy the bread. You do, girl. You just found something good to eat. I love it. (laughs) I love messing with Brad. Oh, man, this is so much fun. This is one of the funnest interviews I've ever done. Constant laughter. I love it. Speaking of success, Teresa, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? To me, when I get up in the morning and I do my gratitude, which I had to learn how to do, and it's so important that you do it. To me, being able to just be able to do that, 90% of my family's gone. All of my elders are gone, which I feel bad for the next generations because we the elders, y'all in trouble. Come on, there's going to be no dinners at Big Mama's house here. But we'll get into that later. But for me, success isn't the money. The money is the cherry on top. It's the journey and helping other people. I'm a caregiver. I've been a caregiver my whole life since I was eight years old. I used to help my grandmother after her stroke. My best friend in the world, when she passed from breast cancer, I was holding her hand. She stayed in my house. It's about being there to care. So if I can serve, if I can put a smile on somebody's face, like, I don't know how many people are going to listen to this, watch this, whatever, but I consider it a massive success because Brad is cracking up. That's (laughs) success for me. That's what success is. It's helping other people. Yeah, I think that's why we're all here on this planet. That's a yeah. big part of why we're here is to be in and of service, to in and of lift service. each other, to cheerlead each other, to support each other. If I can help someone, why wouldn't I? It doesn't cost you anything to help someone. Exactly. And you could change the trajectory of someone's life that way. Exactly. And the funny thing is that what ends up happening, like we're talking about me being invited to this tea. I got invited to this tea from somebody I helped. And they called me up and said, hey, I think this would be a great place for you. They would have never done that if I hadn't been in their corner. That's it. And helped them. You you pay it forward. And then sometimes you turn around and you reach back and you bring people up forward with you. You want to see somebody. Always the back down. Yeah. Always. You want to see somebody smile and grin if you can do it one day in your life. If there's an older person standing behind you at the grocery store and they could have three items. I'm not telling you it's got to be a hundred. 
or a mom with small kids and they've got a couple of items, pay their grocery bill. Watch what happens. Yep. They will just never forget that. And I ran into a lady, I did this, I bought her diapers. And she was like, that was her last $20 to buy these diapers. And I bought her diapers. I ran into her at Walmart five years later, little kids walking around. And she said, oh my God, oh my God, you may not remember me, but here's the $20. And I said, no, honey, that's not what it's about. But how are you doing? And she said, I'm really good. They're really good. And she says, and I bought somebody diapers too. There you go. That's what it's about. You bet. That's it. That's it. Even at the drive-thru. Pay the person behind you. Behind you. I've done that too. I've done that too. And then they're just like, what? Yeah. Now I messed around and did that once at a, I think it was churches or something. I was buying churches for the family and Mm -hmm. the family behind me had a hundred dollar bill worth of of churches food. And I'm like, go ahead. I'm good. Go ahead. But yeah, it's just fun. It's just absolutely fun. Or tip somebody who doesn't normally get tipped. I was executive producer for a nighting investiture in Chicago recently. And this lady, older African-American woman, was doing all the setups that morning for our breakfast and was there all night long. And I said, how long have you been working here? She said, I've been here for 20 something years. And I gave her a hundred dollar tip that night. And she was like, I don't even know if I can take it. I said, I know you can take it. You better put that in your pocket. And she was like, oh my goodness. And then she looked at me later, she grabbed my hand. She said, girl, I'm going to pay my gas bill with this. That's huge. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. I love it. What is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? One of my heroes is Zig Ziglar. And one day we'll get into the conversation of how he saved me from killing myself, literally taking my own life one night. And he talks about when he sold insurance and his commission was $100 and he would average three no's before he got to a yes. So he started telling people when they said, no, thank you for the $25. And they were like, Mm -hmm. well, I didn't give you any money. And he's like, no, but I get a yes about every four. So you're my second no. I'm I'm getting close to the hundred. I got to get through the no's to get to the yes. And I then learned the power of no, what power you give it and what power you can take from it. Many moons ago, the very first seven-figure successful entrepreneur I got to meet, I asked him what the secret to success was. And he pulled out, we're at a dining room table at a cafe, and he pointed at the salt shaker. And I'm like, secret of success is salt? And he was like, no, the secret of success is just like a salt shaker in a restaurant or at your house. It's right in front of you. But people spend so much time looking everywhere for success instead of looking right in front of them at the things they love to do the most. When they tell you to do the things you love and then figure out how to get paid for it, that is so true. Just do the things you love. So he taught me N-O-W-H-E-R-E. He said, "It's life is all about where you draw the line. If you draw the line after the O, then you're telling yourself opportunities are nowhere. If you draw it after the W, you're telling yourself opportunities are now here. And it's truly how you see it. And I've been seeing it that way my whole life. When I look at a project, the first thing I say is, well, where are we drawing a line? Is there an O or a W here? If it's a W, let's go get it. If it's an O, thank you for the opportunity. We're going to move on. There's another fucking mic drop moment. That is beautiful. You're dropping it all over the place. I love it, Teresa. Wow. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? Professionally or period? Period. 
parents. My parents, my dad's been gone since 10, 13 years. My mom's been gone since 07, 16 years. But I still hear him every day and I hear him in every decision I make. And when I got that invitation to that tea, I could hear my dad saying, ooh, we stepping in high cotton now, ain't we? Because that was his thing. First time I sit a limo for him, he was like, I ain't dead. What's this man doing at my door? I hear him. I hear him. And they navigate for me. They absolutely, my mother had an eighth grade education. My dad had a fourth grade education, but they're smartest people on the planet. And just completely common sense. My dad was like, yeah, you can have book sense, but you don't have no common sense. You're not going to make it in this life. So yeah, my parents. Common sense is not so common. No, (laughs) some people don't even know what it is. And some people are insulted by it. What do you mean common sense? Oh, I went to Harvard. Uh Uh-huh. And that's why you work for $40,000 a year when you could have got that job after high school. I'm just saying, <laughs> but enjoy paying those loans off. Uh, you and your Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Listen to it. M power meant you're meant to empower others and some people empower you, but that's what it is. It's power. What are you doing with it? If you're just sitting there, you're not empowering others. And if others are trying to empower you and you're too busy like my grandson at four, talking to the hand (laughs) or ignoring the opportunity. Yeah, that's what it means. Share the power, empower them. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. Okay, let's go. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Laughter. (laughs) Got lots of that today. That's for damn sure. (laughs) How would you describe yourself in one word? Unusual. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Now here. What is one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Ooh, a son. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? My creativity. What is one of your favorite quotes? If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? No doesn't mean no. Walking into a brick wall means your nose just gets a little bit bruised, but there's usually a window or a sliding door to the left or right. (laughs) If you could step into my shoes, what question would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? Why am I doing this interview? There you go. Answer the question. I don't do a lot of interviews. And I'm very strategic in who I do interviews with because I want to do interviews with people that have kind hearts, that pay it forward, that know what empowerment means, and that are changing the world one elephant bite at a time. And five minutes after meeting you, I said, ooh, he had elephant biter just like me. (laughs) That truly touches my heart. I am honored by that. Thank you so much for that reflection and sharing that, Teresa. That means Just telling the truth. Thank you. Just telling the truth. What is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? Ooh, in the last year. That I can be a grown-up sometimes? I don't don't like... I'm going to be 60 this year. I still tell people, when I grow up, I'm going to do this. Yeah, that I can be... It's okay to sit at the helm of the ship and and steer and not keep looking around for somebody else. Come over here and drive this boat for a minute, would you? I'm really getting comfortable in the captain's seat now at almost 60. What is your why? Family. Here and gone. I want to make my parents and that aunt. Ain't wheezy. I want to make her. Yeah, her name was Louise. I watched the Jeffersons. Her name was Weezy. She was a Weezy. Yep. (laughs) 
She was eight Weezy ever since then. I was the only one who was allowed to call her that. But I know that they're all looking. My grandparents are looking. My great grandmother remembered when her parents were taken for slavery. She lived to 117. 117, did you say? She was in the Guinness Book of Records for years. And sat there and told us all the stories, all the stories. I know they're all looking going, child, we in deep in that high cotton now. And that's what I want. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? I'm a bonus mom and a bonus grandma, which means I have not, as my friend would say, had a child from these loins. (laughs) 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 But I wouldn't change it for the world. When they introduce me, I'm mom. There's no commas, ifs, there's no step or foster or anything like, mom, yeah. That's what it's about. That's powerful. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Already happened. Rita Davenport, she saved my life. Okay. But what's cool is being in this environment, I used to believe it's six degrees of separation, but now thanks to AI and social media and everything else, it's about three degrees now. If you know the right three people, you can get to anybody. And because of that, I know if there's somebody I want to sit down with, I can get there. I know I can make it happen. I just got to know the right three people. And then being able to honor Rita Davenport as my woman of the year this year, I'm going to cry through the whole thing. And (laughs) since you're taking photos, you make sure you get the good side, okay? Not Uh, the ugly cry. There is only a good side. (laughs) (laughs) There is no other side. But Rita Davenport, I, I would sit at her feet and talk to her for the rest of my life if she let me. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? The sun does shine. People don't realize that I have a genius IQ and people don't realize that there's a very thin line between genius IQ and massive depression. And you have to learn how to walk that line. And sometimes you fall to the dark side, as we like to call it around here, and you just have to find the sunshine and the light again. And back then in my 20s, there was a lot of dark and a lot of people didn't understand me. And I thought, well, I don't even need to be here. Just find the light, kid. You're okay. Find the light. Love it. Lastly, Teresa, if you were to to give your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Never give up. Don't worry about fear. Success is what you make it. Stop worrying about what your numbers are. We're such a tribe now of how many likes do we have? How many people have we seen? Stop worrying about that. Touch the people that are meant to be touched and have your heart open enough and be beyond the fear of getting hurt yourself to let your heart get touched too. Beautiful. Teresa, thank you so very much for taking the time to be here with me today, for sharing, for making me laugh my ass off. (laughs) This has been an absolutely incredible interview. You are a truly inspiring and beautiful soul. Thank you for shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world through all that you are and all the work that you're doing in the world. You're an incredible human being that I am so grateful to be connected to and to have as part of my community and to be part of yours. Thank you for all that you do. Well, you already know you're part of my family now. We have adopted you. You are in. <laughs> so we expect your Thanksgiving dinner and the 4th of July. I, I, I know you don't talk, but you coming. And you're amazing, dude. Just keep doing whatever you're doing. And if I can help in any way, I am here. I'm one little text message away. Hey, sis. Yes, brother. What can I do? And you know that goes back the same way. 
Let's go get them. One elephant bite at a time. That's it. I love it. Thank you so much. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Teresa Goss. She is a multi-passionate entrepreneur, an author, a public speaker, executive producer, national talk show host, founder of Now, a computer programmer, and most (laughs) importantly, a kick-ass human being. Thank you so much, Teresa. I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.